Well, hey everyone, welcome to Speculative Work. I'm James Aaron, and this is my science fiction author's diary, where I share what I've learned in the last week, successes I've had, and mistakes I've made, so that maybe you don't make them too. So, this episode, mainly what I'm going to talk about is co-authoring, and that's based on some questions that I got from Chad, who is... Uh, also a science fiction author who's emailed me a couple times. And you're always welcome to email me if you have any questions, james at jamesaaron.net, and I will do my best to help out if I can. So before I get into that, updates since last time. Um, I have not done nearly as much writing as I would have liked. Uh, that seems to be the name of the game these last couple weeks. But the main thing is that I started a new job. And I think with any new situation, it's you can't guarantee that you'll get work done. Like that's just really what it is. Um, combine the new job with our 17 month old daughter now is teething really badly, not sleeping consistently. Last night I was up with her until 1am just soothing her, trying to, to get her to go back to sleep. And so that meant plans I had to get up early and write were kind of thrown out the window. So you have to roll with the punches um, but a new job is also a big part of that. So I've spent the last week kind of easing into the new workplace, getting a sense of what the flow of the office is like. Like, can I take consistent lunches? What does my time like look like throughout the day? You know, are there snippets of 15 minutes or 30 minutes, things like that, that, um, that I could grab where I'd have time to myself. And I'm still kind of figuring that out, but I'm going to make it work. So because I can't count on what's happening with the job, like this week I have some pretty heavy word count deadlines I need to meet. So come uh, hell or high water, I'll be getting up at 4 a.m. and doing some writing. But that's just what it has to be this week. So uh, I'll report back on how that goes. We recorded a podcast this morning for Aeon 14, so that was a lot of fun. If you are you know, part of any kind of project with a bunch of people, it's totally awesome to do a podcast. I recommend that you figure out a way to do that. Just get everybody together to talk about it. And it's really been a lot of fun for us with Aeon 14. I think the fans really enjoy it because there's a lot of extra info that they get from the podcast. And then it's kind of a team building exercise for us. So we all get to see each other face to face. We get to talk. Um, it's just, while it's not as good as being in the same room together, it's really helped cement the group as a team. And we've been doing it for a little more than a year now, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, so I would totally recommend it. After the last episode, which was kind of a mope fest on my part, I appreciate you for hanging with me on that, but I was questioning a number of my choices across the last three years as an author. You know, it was based on some conversations I've had with folks that I know are doing very well, and, you know, it was pointed out to me that folks that are some people that are selling like crazy, like they're outliers. And I get that. Um, and in fact, in a lot of cases, these are folks that have moved out of writing and into publishing. And when I talk about co-writing, I'm going to dig into that a bit more, but the amounts of money that people are making now is basically what you could expect to make as a publisher. You know, if, if a person had started a publishing house and was doing well and understood how the new markets worked and Kindle Unlimited worked, um, you know, those are not, crazy numbers when you look at having a, a catalog of, you know, 50 some books, you know, that, that kind of thing. What people don't know right now is how long this is going to last. You know, I mean, there could be a certain amount of sales that people are getting now with the way, 
you know, Amazon is working and Kindle Unlimited is working, but nobody knows what that looks like across, you know, the next two years, three years, five years, which in business land, you know, those are the kind of things that you need to, to really take into account for, you know, long-term business growth and where you need to direct your business. But anyway, I'll dig into that a bit more. So I was, I was kind of moping about some things that honestly I was comparing myself to things I really shouldn't have been comparing myself to. And I got another really helpful reminder just to like, what are your goals? And my goals have always been that in four years time, when my daughter is going into kindergarten or first grade and my wife could go back to work, like that's the time when I can realistically look at writing full time or potentially going part time, you know, at a job and then writing more than I am now. And that's a completely reasonable goal. And, uh, and also this might be a broader topic to talk about, but I fully believe in multiple streams of income. Like I, you know, throughout my life, I've typically had two jobs at the same time or a main job and a side gig, you know, always a way to make money outside of my main source of income because you just don't know what's going to happen in this world, you know, and you might think you have a stable job and then you go to work tomorrow and things aren't what you thought they would be. So I'm a big fan of saving money. I know how much money is coming into my life and going out. And if you are at all considering writing full time, like you need to, you need to have a handle on your finances because, you know, I have some friends that are real estate agents and they, they don't budget on a monthly basis. They budget on, on a yearly basis. So when they can expect to have, like, they'll have a big sale, but that big sale might come once a month or maybe once every two months. And so they have to look at their, at their budget in a totally different way. And then they often have side jobs on the side as well or other ways of making money. But those are, I, I don't know. I look at it. Those are things I think about, you know, this, this current train we're on with Amazon, like who knows what that's going to look like in three years. And so letting go of that day job, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll see what happens, but that's kind of the current, the current plan. But based on the thoughts that I've been having last week, I actually had a conversation with a publisher that I know is looking for new co-authors and it's a person I had met in the past and I know other authors that are working with them and having a pretty good experience. And so I figured I would, I would talk to them and see what was possible. And there are uh, some opportunities there at the beginning of the year. So we'll see what happens. You know, obviously, like I talked about in the last episode, I need to finish uh, the current series with Mal and then we could talk about what next year is going to look like. And then I would still like to do some work on my own. So it'd be figuring out what a timeline looks like where I, you know, potentially maybe do, you know, three books to stack some books and then do my own thing. Um, I don't know, but it was, uh, a pretty exciting conversation, quite honestly. And I'm excited about the idea of, uh, maybe doing some different genre stuff and we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I already pitched an idea and it sounds like they are already doing something that is similar to the idea that I pitched, but <laughs> I'll pitch another idea and we'll see what'll, what'll happen there. We've got, I wouldn't be able to do anything until the beginning of next year. So we've got plenty of time to talk about ideas and then map, uh, map things out, but that could be a new, a new direction. We'll see. So that was, that was pretty much this week. You know, it, one thing about doing these podcasts or diaries on a, on a weekly basis is it really makes you aware of just how fast time goes. And every single day I need to be fighting for writing time and fighting to get words out. And unfortunately this last week I wrote 2000 words total. Um, today I got six, 600 words out. Um, I'm probably not going to do any more writing tonight because I need to get to bed so I can get up in the morning, but it's just, 
really making it clear how every single day you got to fight for that time. And even if you only get 500 words out or even 300 words, it's better than getting nothing and having three days go by and realize that you haven't written anything across that time. So I'm just reminding myself of that over and over again. (laughs) So um, next week will be better. It has to be better. Okay. So what I wanted to talk about this time was, was co-writing. So I was asked, how did I get into co-writing in the first place? And, you know, I had, I had published three books in a science fiction series that I look back now and I realize I made a lot of mistakes with that series and how I approached it, what my plan was. I basically had no plan. I had, I didn't have a satisfying plot with the books that I had written. And I was kind of jumping all over the place uh, between different characters and different books. And I wasn't doing a linear series, which is what over time, you know, people that are successful in the Amazon market have found is, you know, stick with one character in one series, you know, do at least, at least a trilogy to see how it takes off and then write things in arcs so that you can do ongoing, you know, ongoing books in the same series. If people do, uh, you know, if that book resonates with people, I had not done that. And (laughs) I was realizing that, you know, between work and everything else, I just was kind of hitting my head against the wall, realizing that I wasn't being effective. And I felt like I was wasting money because one of the things that works against me, I guess, is, you know, I have money to waste on these, these kind of things like hobbies. You know, if I, if I wanted to go buy a a ski jet, I I probably could, you know, I choose not to do that. (laughs) But when on a monthly basis, like it doesn't seem like a lot, but a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there, um, buying Amazon advertising, like, I never jumped into Facebook advertising because I, I wasn't ready to throw thousands of dollars at anything, but I realized I was wasting money. I wasn't managing my expenses and I was I was buying advertising for books that weren't ready to really capitalize on that advertising. I didn't have books to read, you know, for read through. Um, that's one of the things about advertising. Like, And I think most people do say this, but if you're going to start advertising a book, I know there are people that will say you could advertise a book one and get some sales. And there are people out there that have done that. Most of the people that are successful with advertising have read through. So that means they have at least three books, if not four, five, six, and seven. So they can drop a lot of advertising on book one. And even if, you know, like say cost per click advertising, they're spending, you know, 25 cents, a dollar a click to get people to purchase that book they're making that money back on those seven books on the back end. So they can, they can afford to spend that money on that advertising. I was not in that place where it would be effective for me. And I, and I realized that. So I, one of the things I had done was I had built up a mailing list and I had done that through a couple different promotions where, um, there were actually buy-in promotions where an author this, and this was more effective, you know, like two years ago, but an author would organize this, uh, you know, email giveaway where they say they have a Kindle loaded up with a bunch of authors' books. You would give them your book and then they would basically, um, they buy the Kindle, you pay them like $10, $20, $30. And then they would use different web services to have people sign up for the, um, the giveaway and then give away the Kindle with all the books on it. This is not a super effective way to get quality email leads, but it was a way to get a lot of them. And I got, I think over the course of three of those that I did, I got uh, close to 10,000 email addresses. Now, the thing that I was not good at was the onboarding process, which I've since learned a lot more about. 
But there just wasn't a lot of information about that back then, at least not being shared with authors. And one thing I think, you know, if you want to stay ahead of marketing trends, like look at what other marketers are doing online, you know, and it, it's not not necessarily writers. Look at what people that are selling t-shirts or, you know, pe- those kind of ads that pop up on Facebook that you click on and lead you through to go buy something, you know, pursuant to your interests, whatever it might be, <laughs> um, you know, from t-shirts to coffee cups to whatever. But those people are kind of on the cutting edge of how to get conversion from from advertising. And the same thing with an email list where having an email address, your goal is actually to eliminate the people that aren't going to buy your books. Because one of the things I learned from having such a large email list is like, it costs money, you know, so I was paying, I think when it first came about, I was paying like 60 bucks a month for the service, which is another thing I was wasting money on. And then I just, I didn't know how to narrow that list down to people that would specifically want to buy my books. Like I still thought at the time I needed to appeal to the broadest audience possible. And I've since learned that like, no, you want to, you want to get rid of people. Like if they're not interested in and not even if they're not interested, if they're not going to buy your books, you don't want them to be on the list. And so I, I really kind of flailed around with, you know, writing about myself, writing about my dog, uh, writing about new releases and, I wasn't doing a good job of just directing people back to the book. So they wanted, you know, both the current book, the new, you know, the next book, those kind of things so that they could make that buying decision. And, um, there's a bunch of good resources out there now on how that, what that funnel can look like and how you can set up, you know, autoresponder sequences and, and those kind of things to make your email more effective. And I, I do believe that email is the most effective way to keep people engaged with you personally. But at the time, I had kind of gone about it the wrong way. You know, there, there are different ways now to use like prolific works or there, there are services that have popped up where back then it was, you know, I found out about these things through like keyboards and Facebook groups and, you know, individual relationships that I kind of had developed with these authors that were organizing these things where, you know, anytime I saw somebody was writing stuff similar to mine, I would friend them on Facebook, I would join their author groups, you know, I'd start getting a sense of what they were doing to market. And then if they threw out an invitation for other authors in their genre, I would jump on that. Because one thing I have learned is that it is valuable for, you know, if you're writing a certain kind of book, and you know that your audience likes it, it's actually valuable to know other authors that are writing similar stuff to you. Because just like, you know, if you, you're trying to produce email uh, marketing once a month or something, it's it's useful to have other authors you can promote because you're providing something of value to your readers. And, and if those people are doing good work, then that's a thing of value, right? If they're, if they're doing stuff that's no good or it's not related to, you know, it's not something your audience would like, then that's not useful. But, but it can be if you're all in the same, you know, in the same vibe that way. So that's how I linked up with those folks back then. Now there are services that have popped up that will help you, you know, you can, you can see people, authors are listing like, Hey, I want to do a thriller email list. I'm, you need to meet these requirements. Like typically it's a professional cover and potentially a certain amount of reviews. And then you can join that, um, that mass email and get email addresses that way. Um, and that was kind of the main way that I got email addresses. There was also, um, I'm blanking on the name, what it used to be. It's now Prolific Works. And that company, you, know, you can still do this where you can have a sample on the website and then people could download the sample. And it used to be they had to give their email address to get the sample of, of your work or the free work. And 
I go back and forth on that because the quality of that, that lead was not that great, but now, you know, they can choose to do it if they like the sample. And then that's kind of a better lead because only people only give their email address that actually like your work. Um, so that was another way that I gathered email lists or email addresses. But anyway, so I had been trying to market, you know, to my email list. And one of those things is doing swaps with authors. And that's another place where, you know, networking is, is really important. And I had, Mal Cooper had done a call out in, I can't remember which group it was, basically just looking for authors to do newsletter swaps with. And so I contacted her about it because um, we were on the same wavelength when it comes to the, uh, the work we were doing. And we did a couple swaps and then we just started talking back and forth about different things. And Mal mentioned that she was looking for co-authors in Aeon 14. And at the time, I knew that other other writers were expanding and doing this. And so um, Michael Anderley was looking for co-authors in the Catharian Gambit. Um, Craig Martell was looking for co-authors. Like you started hearing about writers that had developed an audience, they were doing well, they had hungry fans, and they basically just couldn't produce the work fast enough for you know to keep the fans engaged. And so they were looking for other writers to be part of that. And Anna 14 has never quite been that that way. Um, one of the things is because it's a pretty complicated world. And so you have to put a lot of effort in coming to learn the world. And that's one of the things I learned about co-authoring is different writers have different expectations when it comes to how much you know the world, how much you need to engage with their fans, with what they're doing promotion-wise. Um, these are things I actually didn't really know at the time. It just felt like I had read Mal's work. It felt like a good fit. And so I, I thought, yeah, let, let's do this. Um, and so that's how we started doing it. And uh, it can be as simple as that. You know, sometimes writers will put out a call where they're looking for co-authors. Um, other times it could be you just read you read their work and you like it a lot. And so if, you know, you could suggest to them that, hey, I, are you looking for writers? I'd like to, to write with you potentially. Now for me, the, like I'd mentioned, I was running up against this wall as far as marketing. Like I had enough time to get the writing done and, and the editing, although I still, we still hired editors. Um, I had done like some crowdsourced editing and things like that with my books, which were, it was kind of effective. I don't think I would do that again, but I just had realized I didn't have time to do this. And so what Mal offered basically was an editorial process where I could produce a manuscript, it would enter into the editorial process and help produce a much better book with a great cover that would then be, you know, released to an audience that was looking for it. So it wasn't like I was trying to produce a book on my own in the wilderness and <laughs> release it on Amazon and have no idea, you know, who might want to read it or not read it. And you just felt like you were kind of out there flapping on your own. Um, and at the time I didn't know anything about how this, this kind of editorial process could work. And Mal had developed a really tight editorial process with editors on board, the cover artists, um, all that good stuff. So basically the, the book just kind of moved on down the conveyor belt. Right. And also having an existing IP and a world that had been developed made it much easier to write, just to write the book. Quite honestly, um, once you have that that world building done and you're writing a series within this world that you've created, you just don't have to spend that much time in prep work. Like you, you basically map out the novel. This is what's going to happen. This is where it takes place, the timeline, all those things. And if, if you've already developed it or the other, the other author has already developed it, um, then, you know, it's going to be that much easier. 
And I guess I should back up because one thing that, that I guess got this idea in my mind that I might even do it is, you know, Amazon had rolled out a service called Kindle Worlds, which basically if an author got accepted into Kindle Worlds, you could write within their their intellectual property, their world, and then you got like, I think it ended up being something like 40% of the royalty, but it wasn't a very tight editorial process. Like you basically would write the book. It wasn't considered canon or anything, but then, you know, fans of that would potentially find you, I guess, through that, uh, through Kindle worlds. Well, Jay Allen had, uh, put out a call on, I think it was K boards, um, where he was going to be one of the flagship authors in Kindle worlds. And so they were going to do some extra promotion and all this stuff. And I emailed him about, about it. Uh, you know, we talked about reading his, uh, his book, or I think it was Crimson worlds. I started reading. Um, and then we would talk about, uh, what might be some options. Well, Amazon closed down Kindle worlds. And so it didn't, it didn't ever come together, but that had put that idea in my mind that, okay, maybe I could just focus on writing, within, um, you know, to an, to an audience and, and then not have to worry about all the marketing stuff. And I've always, you know, that's one of the things I've learned about business. Like it certainly is, it's better to have a small piece of a very large pie than a whole pie with nobody, you know, that's interested in it. (laughs) Right. So for where I was in my career, that, that made sense for me. So why might you be interested in co-writing? I mean, I think kind of for the same reasons. If you're still working full time, you're still trying to transition, uh, or even just learn anything about this business, because it is a business you, you do have to take it seriously. And I think if you're say at the step where you're going to writing groups or, you know, you're still just kind of writing to learn how to tell a story and learn how to like accept feedback from people or, or, or process feedback, I think, you know, I spent four years with my local writing group here and I was really focused on, on writing the kind of story that they wanted to see to be successful. And a big lesson for me was realizing that the kind of story that my writing group wanted to see was not necessarily the kind of story that readers wanted to read. <laughs> you know, maybe it was the kind of story that a certain magazine might want to read. And we, we certainly spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. But even that was trying to please an editor, not necessarily please a reader. And so when you work with an existing author who knows their audience very well, it makes it really easy to learn what it is that reader wants, because for whatever reason, that author figured it out, you know, um, either by reading everything that was in that genre and that, in that maybe category in Amazon or, or whatever, but they, they figured it out and now they're being successful. And I would say that if you have a lot of ego around your work, like you don't really don't want to work with someone else because if they've kind of figured it out, then that means you need to uh, do what they do, right? <laughs> at least at least put your spin on doing what they do to be successful. And I've certainly made made mistakes where I thought I was doing something that was more, you know, literary or more uh, would develop the character in a better way. And all I did was frustrate the readers that were expecting a certain thing from the book and I didn't necessarily give it to them. And the reviews, you know, reflected that. So... So that's why you might approach it. I think, you know, how much time you have, what you want to learn. Um, you know, there are authors who will take on as co-writers, you know, writers who haven't published anything, just people that can prove they can produce a book. You know, that's the other thing too. You have to have shown that you can do the work in a consistent manner, you know, working off an outline 
And, and here's the thing, you know, there are different ideas about what is quote unquote good and something that you might not, um, I don't know, like something you could, you could write to serve that audience, um, might be different than what you would normally write, <laughs> but you're writing to serve to serve a specific audience. So that's why you might you might think about it. Um, the other thing would be audience building. So if it's if that's a writer that has an, an audience that's adjacent to you know what you want to write, then you know will they let you market within their channels? You know, do they have a large Facebook group that you could potentially develop some relationships with? Um, are they cool with you posting in that Facebook group and letting fans get to know you so that, uh, when the time comes, maybe you could promote your own work, you know, and those fans would come along, um, to start reading your stuff as well. And that can be a lot more effective than, you know, random email addresses, like the way I was going about it before. So that's one, you know, a lot of different things around that. I I think I'll get into the cons here in a second, but also just, do you like the writer's work? You know, if you don't like the work or like what they're writing or find enjoyment in it, or at least see what other people would like, then that's not a writer you should work with. Um, so those are all things to, to think about, you know, why you might want to do it. How could you get into it? Um, you know, like I mentioned, networking is huge. So take part in Facebook groups, uh, you know, keyboards. I, I haven't been that active on keyboards that finding the, if you haven't heard about keyboards, so it's an author's community that kind of predates all of the uh, indie author communities on Facebook. It actually has a really convoluted URL. So the easiest way to find it is just Google K boards forum. That's, you know, the letter K boards forum and it'll pop up. There's years of information there that you can read back through and, and people tend to be very opinionated and kind of prescriptive there, but it is a place to, to, meet a lot of authors that are working today. Um, there's a lot of other closed Facebook groups that as you get to know more authors and, and let them know like, Hey, I'm starting out. I would like to network with other authors. Can you recommend groups or authors? I should, you know, should get to know, then they'll potentially invite you to these networking groups either on Facebook or Slack or discord, um, or things like that. And, uh, you can, you can learn more that way. But that's where you'll meet writers who might be interested in, in looking for more co-writers. Uh, the 20 books to 50K forum is, you know, we quite often there look we have folks that uh, get permission to post that are looking for co-authors. The thing about that forum is it's got, you know, there are 30,000 members in that group. So if somebody posts and they're looking for writers, there's gonna be a lot of competition. And it's it's better if you can develop that one-on-one relationship with somebody. So they, they know you, they trust you, they're... Um, they're ready to talk to you and, and about some ideas and stuff like that. So, and even before you do that, like, so concurrently with the networking, as you kind of get to know people and get a sense of who you might be interested in working with, you need to read their books. And then as you read, read for hooks. So, you know, what are some places where the author might've left kind of a, a dangling end, um, a throwaway bit of information, Narrative summary is something I look for a lot. So that, that would be where a writer like kind of, you know, if you think about it in a movie, when we're doing a time lapse of events, you know, getting ready for something like a lot of times there's events or actions that are just glossed over quickly that could be unpacked to be their own thing. And when, um, it's like when I 
when I read Out System um, by M.D. Cooper, like there was a whole story there from three thousand to four, the year three thousand to four thousand within the story's timeline that there were some wars that took place, and I was like, oh, this is there's all kinds of cool stuff that could happen here. And then the thing about it is, it also took place before the events in the main storyline, so it wasn't while it was within the existing story, it wasn't as difficult to make things fit with the uh, the rest of the the series. So looking for those hooks, you know, did a character go off and, and do something or did they dispatch someone to, you know, go perform a task and then come back? That's the kind of thing that could be a side story or a side series. You know, think about Rogue One in Star Wars. Like there was this whole story that was out there hanging for a long time about some rebels that gave their lives to get the Death Star plans. That's the kind of hook that could be a side story that as a co-author you could, you know, you could expand on that. So looking for those kind of things, or, you know, it might be that the, the author doesn't want that. They actually want to expand into something different. So that's where you might just get into a, an email based on a conversation you had on Facebook or, you know, Hey, it looks like you're, you know, contact them and just, um, are you looking for co-authors? I'm looking for opportunities to maybe, uh, write new work in different genres or, um, you know, I've done this work. I'm interested in branching out. And they might have another project altogether that they they've kind of like to bring somebody on to work on. So that could be a way to to do that. Um, when you pitch, uh, you know, I think having a strong character profile, you know, that even maybe just three sentences, but throwing out, you know, what does the character want? Who are they? What's their struggle? And then an outline typically of the first book and then how you could tie that into, you know, at least three books, if not four books. So you show that there's potential for a series, but I'll just be, I'll just think of those things all the time and kind of type it out as an email and then, you know, send it. Now, some of the other things to consider with co-writing, it's, it's a long-term relationship and it's a business relationship. So, if you think about, you know, if you do audio, like on ACX, that's a seven-year um, seven contract. Same thing with, you know, with books on, you know, you can't unpublish books on Kindle. That's pretty easy. But ACX is the thing that really makes it where you're kind of locked into an agreement with someone for, for seven years. The other thing is, what if there are disagreements in the editorial? You know, who's in charge? Who owns it? Who owns the IP? Um, a 50-50 agreement is great, but in the event that, you know, somebody sells their half, uh, that can be difficult. And so I think, you know, when you think about, uh, some other things I've talked about, like abundance for authors, for me personally, like you all, you almost always have to be willing to kind of walk away from it. Like if I, if I made a certain amount amount of money, great. If I get burned, um, am I willing, you know, what's my pain level on that? Because it's a business relationship that you're entering into. And sometimes depending on where the author's at in their, in their co-writing or in, in building kind of their publishing business, um, they might not have ever had a business before. And so they're not used to dealing with contracts or selling rights, um, even managing rights, that kind of thing. You know, can they pay people on time? Uh, that kind of thing, you know, having a contract that lays out what the agreement is, um, is there a buyout clause if you don't want to do it anymore? Um, you know, what happens if you disagree on the direction of the book? Like, does it ultimately belong to the owner of the IP? Um, what if they decide they don't like the way you wrote the book? So they're just going to write over it. Is, are you going to have a problem with that? Um, you know, so all those things, 
it's really better if you get that ironed out to begin with. And while, you know, everybody would say, yes, you need to consult with a lawyer. Um, I'll be honest. There have certainly been contracts. I, you know, agreements I entered into where I didn't consult with a lawyer. I probably, you know, depending on what's happens, I, I could wish that I did, but that's going to introduce a whole extra layer of complexity and cost that maybe you just want to jump in and, and write a book. And that's the thing about Kindle Unlimited with eBooks. At least it, it can be inexpensive just to try something and see if it hits, but it's always difficult to go back and renegotiate an agreement after money starts coming in. And when money comes in, that's when things get uh, get tense, right? So just don't forget that co-writing is a business relationship. Somebody has to own the books ultimately. Somebody has to have editorial control or it could just lead to a, a, a bunch of disagreements. Um and then that there's going to be an end date, you know, this isn't a kind of thing that maybe you're just going to do three books, four books, and then go do your own thing. Um, or it could be a long-term relationship. You never quite, quite know. Um, but you need to be able to work with these other people. So how do they manage conflict? Are they able to take criticism? Uh, what happens if you have a, a disagreement about something? Can you be open about that? Can you communicate with them? Like what are the means of communication that you use? And, you know, if you listened back, like my, my frustrations about a business I was part of owing back taxes and, you know, still a little worried in the back of my mind that they might try and come after me for that. But that, a lot of that came out of lack of communication with my former business partner. And, um, I, I've said before, I would never do that. I would never end in, enter into a business partnership again. Um, but co-writing is a business partnership and you kind of have to be willing to, you know, I'm gaining all this knowledge and things from this process. So if I had to walk away, it wouldn't like destroy me. And I also haven't put a lot of money into this. Um, I get, you know, I get money out of the relationship, but it would still suck if I lost control or access to these books that I had written. Um, but it's also not the same as like dropping $50,000 on another business, you know, starting a franchise or something. So those are things to think about. Like, just remember that while you are benefiting from this relationship, it is still a business relationship. And, and maybe you want to do it with a pen name. You know, maybe you want to uh, go into this with um, a, a new identity that's not going to be related to the, your actual name you're going to be writing under so that you get the benefit of, of learning and, and then maybe, you know, the goal is not to piggyback on that audience. It's just to, to make some money, learn how they do things, learn about their editorial process, learn from the editors that they hire and what kind of covers that they contract and then go off and do your own thing. Um, and that, that could be a good thing, you know, with a new pen name. So you're, you, there's not really any skin off your back if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out or that way you've also got a little bit more freedom to write, um, maybe some different work than you'd be writing on your own. So what other cons do I have there? Um, here's one thing. So trapped by money, um, depending on who you're working with, if you are making good money, it could be difficult to leave that relationship <laughs> because there are plenty of authors that, you know, like I talked about in the last episode are making, making good money. Like it's, it's kind of like the day job. I make pretty good money at the day job. And so it's hard to jump into something else because you've got a promise of, you know, consistent, um, you know, royalties, that kind of thing. Um, it can eat up all of your time to write your own work, just like I've been, you know, complaining about here. So <laughs> how much time do you have to write? Do you want to devote that to, you know, developing someone else's IP? 
if you're not going to get the things out of it that I've already talked about here, you know, so that, that could be where having a set, I'm going to do this for three books or four books. I'm going to do this for six months or a year. And then, and then I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Even if that means I'm not necessarily, you know, I have to walk away from that money that I was making. Um, and same thing with diversifying. So it can be difficult to write for multiple authors at the same time. People are certainly doing it, but it's, it's a challenge. You know, it depends on how well you can jump in and out of the headspace of writing for different worlds. Um, but I, I think that could also be a pro because I think diversifying and working with other authors and building those relationships. And I would say that co-authoring is just that next, that definitely that next level, because once you prove that you can produce work on deadline that sells, um, now you've got something to offer other writers that you could potentially work with. Right. And you can kind of level up there as you go. So, you know, so far it's been a really, it's been a very positive experience for me and I certainly wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't uh, jumped in and if Mal hadn't been as generous uh, with her world to let me write in it. And so it's, it's been a good experience. I think the difficult thing right now is just figuring out where to, where to go and do I keep doing this for four years? Do I potentially write with other authors? Do I try and do my own stuff. Um, you know, what does that look like? And so the thing is that it's, it's good to have options, right? So options can be paralyzing, but having this kind of, um, this kind of relationship and this opportunity is, is certainly not something I would have if I was still just writing with my author's group, submitting to magazines or trying to, to work my way up from magazines to an agent, to a traditional publisher like that. I would not at all be where I am now where I, I have built an audience and I have built, uh, you know, some brand recognition around the, um, the name I've been writing under. So, so yeah, I hope that's helpful. Um, if you have questions that I didn't cover, please just shoot me an email at james at jamesaron.net. Uh, again, it comes down to, it's kind of a matter of timing, you know, when these things come available and are you able to jump into it? And, you know, I think I, I mentioned before that I unpublished those other books that I had done and that was a pretty easy decision to make because they, they weren't selling that well, quite honestly. And they weren't reviewed well because I hadn't written them the way that I needed to. So that was a pretty easy decision. I think that would be a harder decision if I, if I had a series that was doing well, or I had a series that needed, needed some work or it needed to be finished. Um, you know, that would make that more of a difficult decision. Just like if you're in a crappy job and you want to jump into writing full time, that's a pretty easy decision to make. Right. So those are all things to, to think about. Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, and let me pull this up on my phone here because I did not realize that I had some reviews on iTunes, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so I wanted to do a shout out to, let me pull up the, uh, the name here. So was up Odyssey left me a review on the 28th of July and said, fun, listen, uh, your voice and tone make the episodes relaxing to listen to hearing your experience and progress through your projects is great motivation towards my project, my writing projects as well. So my goal is to publish my new book by year's end on Amazon Kindle. And I'd like to thank you because a lot of my more recent writings have been while listening to your work. So, <laughs> Hey, that's great. I'm, I'm so excited that, uh, this has been some help, some help to you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to leave a review. I didn't realize that was there. So it's funny because if I try and search for iTunes on my my PC, like I, I can't do it unless I go through the iTunes app. I just happened to look it up on my phone and it popped up. 
And so there's another, there's another five-star review, which is awesome. Um, but it also made me realize like we should do an episode where we talk about reviews because five-star reviews are awesome. Um, but just remember that you're going to get one-star reviews. There's going to be somebody that doesn't like what you do or you said a bad day or whatever. So (laughs) don't, don't let that get you down. But I really appreciate everybody who's taken the time to leave a review or shoot me an email. It totally makes this worth it. So thank you. Yeah. So I hope, I hope that was a helpful discussion about co-writing. And if there's something I can expand on, let me know. So like I said for next week, uh, I think the, you know, if we talk about what is the one thing you can do to make your goal happen, like what is the systemic step that will enable your success as opposed to setting a goal? For me, it's I have to get up in the morning. So I need to get up early. I need to sit down in front of the computer and I need to get some words out. And I'd, I'd kind of been having a block and I, I lost the thread of the book, quite honestly. And I one of the things I'd been thinking about was that by daily writing, it really does help you not lose the thread of whatever story you're working on. And I, with the break I took, uh, with like the trip to Portland and and stuff like that, that broke my forward momentum. It broke the freshness of the story in my mind and made, made it hard to jump back into it. So that's really just another reason to try and write every day on the story that you're working on, you know, write one story at a time, push through it in a linear fashion until it's done and then move on to the next thing. At least that that's what works for me. And that's advice I've heard from other people. So I, it's reaffirmed for me when I take a break and then I find that it's very difficult to get back into the story. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow. And the main, the first step I can do to make that happen is get up in the morning uh, and put my butt in the chair and do the work. So I'll report back on how that, how that turned out. (laughs) All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, happy writing. I will talk to you later. Bye.